Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Friday, September 8th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Biden faces negative job approval ratings. As VP Harris expresses re-election optimism. Google readies an AI disclosure on political ads. Palestine sets its terms for a potential Saudi-Israeli deal. The U.S. approves the shipment of depleted uranium rounds to Ukraine. Mexico decriminalizes abortion nationwide. China considers banning clothes that, quote, hurt feelings. A climate scientist admits to overstating the impact of global warming on wildfires. New Zealand tries to produce lab-grown fruit. And cancer rates are found to have surged by 80% in the last three decades. In our top story, according to a recent CNN poll, the Biden approval rating is at 39%. And here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, The Hill, Fox News, and Politico. A new CNN poll conducted by SSRS shows U.S. President Joe Biden with a 39% approval rating, in addition to other negative opinions of the job he's doing and his chances of winning re-election in 2024. Among those polled, 58% said Biden's policies have made the economy worse, up eight points since last fall. 70% said things are going badly in the country, and 51% said the government should do more to solve the nation's problems. In relation to 2024, 46% of registered voters said any Republican nominee would be a better choice than Biden, while 32% said the Democratic incumbent would be better than any GOP nominee. Factoring in the margin of error, Biden is neck-to-neck with former President Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former Vice President Mike Pence, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, while former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley holds a six-point lead on Biden. Among Democrats and those leaning toward the president's party, 67% said someone else should be the nominee, and 73% of all participants said they're seriously concerned about the 80-year-old's age. The poll, conducted between August 25th through the 31st, surveyed a random national sample of over 1,500 adults drawn from a probability-based panel, including over 1,200 registered voters, 391 Democratic and Democratic-leaning independent voters, and an oversample to extend the 898 Republicans and Republican-leaning independents. Thanks, Eric. We have a Republican narrative on this story from Washington Examiner. This continues the barrage of bad news for Biden and Republicans should be motivated. Americans, even in his own party, are acknowledging the terrible job he's doing. Beware, though, because a desperate Biden is going to try to scare voters to pull out a win. But the electorate should see through his scare tactics and pull the lever for the GOP nominee. And of course, there's a Democratic narrative coming from the Los Angeles Times. These results should be taken with a grain of salt. From disinformation to conspiracy theories, the forecasts are tainted by a largely uninformed electorate and media that's hyper-fixated on ratings, which are a notoriously fluctuating metric. Biden is doing a great job, and just as the political analysis in the lead-up to the midterms was wrong, will likely prevail this coming year. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one predicts there's a 40% chance that Trump will beat Biden if they are the nominees in the 2024 presidential election. Well, when Trump was up against Hillary, the final percentages were he had a 15% chance to win, 1-5. So 40%, I wouldn't count him out if that's, if that's the number. 
Oh, yeah. It, you're right. It, absolutely not. Well, I think Hillary's going to throw her hat in the ring at the last minute. So no. wa- watch out, Trump. <laughs> I want, it would be, we should check with Metaculus. What are yeah. the odds? What are the odds that, of Hillary just wins. saying, you know yeah. what the heck? Forget, forget about the whole email thing. I'm going to throw my head at the You know what? If she had, uh, you know, America loves a, a redemption story. If she for real jump, jumped in and, and had humility and, you know, all the skills and experience that she had, all the all the pluses that she had before that almost before got that. her elected. Yeah. And and with the humility and the and the comeback story, I don't know. I'd vote for her. It would be, be, un- be interesting. It, yeah, it could be an underdog victory. That's for sure. Big time. Yeah. I don't think she wants any part of it, though. She's no. rich. She has a she has a house in the Hamptons or whatever. I think yeah. she's good. Vice President Harris is confident in Biden's reelection. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Hill, Guardian, Associated Press, The Statesman, CBS News, and Fox News. On Wednesday, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris told an interviewer she's confident she and President Joe Biden will win re-election in 2024. And although she's ready to succeed him, if necessary, she believes he's going to be fine. Biden, who turns 81 in November, is currently the oldest serving president in U.S. history and would be 86 by the end of a second term in office. The comments come as a 58-year-old Harris represented Biden and the U.S. at the Association of Southeast Asian Nations Summit in Jakarta, Indonesia. A recent poll by AP and NORC found that 77 percent of Americans and 69 percent of Democrats believe Biden is too old for a second term. However, Harris defended the president's ability to, quote, understand and, quote, weave through complex issues in a manner that no one else can. Harris further stated that Biden is a president who delivers, while reaffirming that possibly becoming president is a responsibility every vice president must understand and accept. In a June NBC News poll, 49% had a negative opinion of Harris, while 32% had a positive opinion of her. Scott, thanks for laying out the facts. Our round of spins begins with a democratic narrative coming from the Daily Beast. Harris's record as a leader on key domestic and international issues makes her one of the best vice presidents in U.S. history and proves she's more than capable of being a future chief executive if needed. Even if she never ascends to the higher office, she'll continue to be an asset for the administration and the 2024 campaign. And the Republican narrative comes from the New York Post. While Harris is undoubtedly accomplished in many areas, her approval numbers are a reflection of her performance as vice president. From mishandling the border to fumbling through speeches, she's not qualified to continue in her current role, let alone as president. And we have a statistics-based nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 10% chance that Harris will be the president of the United States before Inauguration Day 2025. In our next story, Google plans to require a disclosure of of AI-generated political ads. And here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, New York Post, and Politico. Beginning in November, roughly a year before the 2024 U.S. presidential election, Google will require a prominent disclosure for any political ads on its services, such as YouTube, that include audio or images synthetically altered or created by artificial intelligence, or AI. The rule, which will apply to, quote, all verified election advisors, will demand a, quote, clear and conspicuous notice in a location where it is likely to be noticed by users, Google said in its announcement on Wednesday. 
Disclosures won't be required for AI edits, such as cropping, resizing, or in-background edits that don't depict the realistic interpretation of real events. For the rest, however, ads without them will be blocked from running or removed later if initially able to evade detection. AI-generated ads have already hit the internet, including one depicting a fake former President Donald Trump resisting arrest and another showing a fake version of his wife, Melania, yelling at police. The Ron DeSantis campaign posted a fake picture of Trump hugging Anthony Fauci this June. The Republican National Committee in April also issued an AI-generated montage of photos meant to represent the future of the U.S. under a re-elected President Joe Biden which showed boarded-up storefronts, armored military patrols in the streets, and waves of immigrants creating panic. The new Google policy updates its current election ads rules in regions outside the U.S., including Europe, India, and Brazil. Facebook also bans both deep fakes and other manipulated media in videos that are not in advertisements, though it doesn't require disclosures. Thanks, Eric. Narrative A comes from Northwestern Now. Not only should tech companies be reviewing AI-generated images and videos, but the government should enact laws to prevent this insidious content from polarizing society even more. Until that happens, however, everyone must learn to carefully analyze the images they see online before spreading them onto the Internet. The Institute for Free Speech is giving us a narrative B for this story. While Google isn't calling for an outright ban on deep fake images, requiring disclaimers is a slippery slope that could lead to forced labels on other content, such as satire and simpler forms of editing. Lying about what people said and even doctoring images to fit a narrative were around long before the advent of AI. So just because a new technology exists doesn't mean we should lose our right to use it how we please. I'm just going to flood the internet with deep fakes of me doing every manner of heinous act. And then I can just do whatever because it's already out there. I can just say that it's fake. Well, what do you mean you're going to do? I've already seen all your stuff, man. It's, those, it's... those ones aren't deep fakes yet, though. Oh, that, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Palestine sets out the terms for a Saudi-Israeli deal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Times of Israel, Financial Times, New York Times, The New Arab, and BBC News. Officials from the Palestinian Authority, or PA, including PA Intelligence Chief Mahed Farage and Secretary General of the Palestine Liberation Organization, Hussein al-Sheikh, held talks in Riyadh with their Saudi counterparts on Wednesday with the Palestinian representatives reportedly asking for a cash boost and more control of land in the West Bank. The officials reportedly also asked for a complete secession of Israeli settlement expansion in the West Bank, the reopening of the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem, the diplomatic mission to the Palestinians, and the resumption of the U.S. brokered negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians from where they stopped in 2014. Saudi Arabia reportedly seeks greater military cooperation with the U.S. and U.S. support for its own civil nuclear program. Regarding concessions from Israel, the kingdom wants more meaningful changes in Israeli policy toward the Palestinians. A senior Israeli official said that a normalization agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia hinges upon security guarantees with the U.S. The official added that there are still four to five issues that need to be resolved, but they are not as complicated. Saudi Arabia, which is considered a major power in the Arab and Muslim worlds, refused to join several other Arab states when they normalized relations with Israel in 2020. The kingdom also seeks concessions from the PA's leadership as well. 
The peace process between Israel and what is now the PA has stalled multiple times in the last three decades. The situation is also complicated by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's right-wing government, which has taken a particularly hard line on making concessions to the Palestinians. Scott, thanks for those facts. Our first spin is a pro-Israel narrative coming from Jerusalem Post. A normalization deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia would not only benefit the region as a whole, but also the Palestinians. A good deal would satisfy all parties involved and could potentially lay the groundwork for the, for the future resumption of peace talks. And we have a pro-Palestine narrative from Middle East Monitor. Ultimately, a deal between Israel, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and the PA only benefits the leadership of those actors, as opposed to the group of people that this issue is centered around, the Palestinian people. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas is deeply corrupt and unpopular, and he and his cronies are essentially asking that Riyadh pay them hush money. Saudi Arabia and the PA are selling the Palestinian people for cheap. Russia blasts the U.S. for sending depleted uranium rounds to Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Associated Press, and TASS. As part of a $1 billion aid package that includes $175 million for weaponry, the U.S. announced that it's sending to Ukraine depleted uranium rounds on Wednesday. Following suit with the British who first announced they were sending such munitions in March, the U.S. said that the 120-millimeter rounds it would be sending were made to arm the U.S.-made M1A1 Abrams tank. 31 of which it plans to send to Ukraine this coming fall. These armor-piercing rounds were first produced by the U.S. during the Cold War. They were used by the U.S. against Iraq in the first Gulf War in 1991, and again in the 2003 invasion. They were also used in Serbia and Kosovo. The shells are not banned under international law. However, their use is hotly debated, as they have been linked to cancers and birth defects by disarmament groups. According to the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, depleted uranium shells are not considered nuclear weapons, but are classified as containing toxic chemicals. The agency recommends handling the weapons with protective equipment such as gloves, adding that, quote, high concentrations in the kidney can cause damage and, in extreme cases, renal failure. In responding to the move, the Russian embassy in Washington described it as inhumane. It said, quote, obviously Washington, obsessed with the idea of inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia, is ready to fight not only to the last Ukrainian, but to put a cross on future generations. Thanks, Eric, for the striking facts. We have some narrative spins, starting with the pro-establishment spin from the Associated Press. Russia is obfuscating the truth when it says such weapons are made from nuclear components. Depleted uranium is incapable of causing a nuclear reaction and the IAEA classifies it as a toxic chemical. While there are some health risks attached, they are largely overblown by Russia, which also uses the munitions alongside many other militaries across the world. Follow that up with a pro-Russian narrative coming from TASS. This is an inhumane move by the U.S. that shows just how far Washington is willing to go in its attempt to weaken Russia. America is not satisfied with sacrificing this generation of Ukrainians, but is prepared to irreparably damage the future ones as well. The long-term health risks of these weapons are well-documented in places like Iraq, Serbia, and Kosovo. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 4% chance that there will be a deadly clash between the U.S. and Russian armed forces before the year 2024. 
Mexico decriminalizes abortion nationwide. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Euronews, BBC News, Al Jazeera, CNN, Reuters, and the Associated Press. The first chamber of Mexico's Supreme Court ruled Wednesday that federal criminal penalties for abortion are unconstitutional, reaffirming a similar decision issued in 2021 against a law in the state of Coahuila that federally decriminalized the procedure. This comes as the advocacy collective Information Group on Reproductive Choice challenged the abortion section of the federal penal code, which the court agreed is in violation of human rights. Abortion was previously legal across the country only in cases of rape with states free to decide on its legality otherwise. Last week, Aguas Calientes became the 12th state or federal district to decriminalize the procedure. Wednesday's ruling doesn't grant immediate access to termination services nationwide, but it obliges federal agencies to provide the procedure to patients even in the 20 states abortion is still criminalized. This decision has been deemed a historic win for pro-choice activists in a Catholic-dominated country where over 80% of its 130 million people are members of the religion. In contrast with the U.S., where the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision was overturned last year, Latin America has seen a trend of loosening abortion restrictions. Besides Mexico, elective abortion is legal in Colombia, Cuba, Uruguay, and Argentina. Those were the facts, and our round of spins begins with the left narrative coming from Guardian. Though Mexican lawmakers still have to eliminate abortion from the penal code in a process that could take years, this ruling is great news for those long fighting for reproductive autonomy, as the country will no longer criminally charge people for seeking or providing abortions. And the right narrative comes from National Catholic Reporter. This decision doesn't come as a surprise, as Mexico's Supreme Court has quickly assumed cases regarding state-level abortion bans to overturn them. The only way to effectively protect the right to life from conception will be explicitly enshrining it in the country's constitution. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a statistics-based nerd narrative. They say there's a 5% chance that elective abortion will be banned nationally in the United States before the year 2030. China considers banning clothes that hurt feelings. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Bloomberg, Time, Fox News, BBC News, and Independent. The Xi Jinping administration is reportedly considering implementing a law that would forbid a range of behaviors, including dress or speech, that undermine people's spirit or hurt the feelings of the Chinese people. According to a draft of revisions to its public security law released by the Standing Committee of the Nation's Legislature, violators could spend up to 15 days in jail or be fined up to 5,000 Chinese won or 680 U.S. dollars. The current proposal doesn't specify what kind of clothing or speech would be considered, quote, offensive by the PRC government. The proposed legal changes also ban, quote, insulting, slandering, or otherwise infringing upon the names of local heroes and martyrs, and defacing memorial statues. This comes after Chinese citizens have been apprehended for wearing shirts with rainbows or distributing flags with pro-LGBTQ plus symbols. Thanks for those facts, Eric. Let's start our narratives with this anti-China spin from the New York Times. In the name of reforms, Xi Jinping has proposed an excessive and authoritarian law to punish citizens for dissent. In addition, the lack of clarity on what constitutes a violation could lead to abuse and infringe on personal rights. The feelings and spirit of a nation aren't fragile enough to be offended by someone wearing wrong clothes. 
The proposed law is just an attempt to penalize those who offend the CCP's sensibilities. We follow that up with a pro-China narrative coming from Global Times. President Xi Jinping has led China to reform, develop, and contribute to world peace and development. Under his vision, nearly 100 million Chinese people have been lifted out of poverty in just eight years, while a project of modernization has been wildly successful. Chinese citizens believe in Jinping's leadership and decision-making as he highly values culture, puts people first, and works toward advancing national rejuvenation. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 51% chance that Xi Jinping will continue to lead China in the year 2030. A climate scientist claims he overstated the impact of global warming on wildfires. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Daily Mail, The New York Post, The Telegraph, and The Free Press. Dr. Patrick T. Brown co-director of the climate and energy team at the Breakthrough Institute, has claimed that he overstated the impacts of climate change on wildfires in an influential paper to secure publication in the scientific journal Nature. The paper Brown co-authored, titled Climate Warming Increases Extreme Daily Wildfire Growth Risk in California, was often cited by media outlets this summer. Brown says he chose to ignore important non-climate change-related factors so as not to dilute the story he claims scientific journals hold to. Brown claimed in an opinion piece that climate science misinforms the public by focusing on inducing alarm, adding that journals encourage authors to include misleading yet eye-popping numbers and scenarios to increase their stature and create good headlines. Poor forest management, human error, and arson are factors that, together with climate change, influence forest fires, with 80% of forest fires being ignited by humans, says Brown. These factors are ignored to promote reducing greenhouse gas emissions at the expense of more realistic policy goals. Nature Editor-in-Chief Dr. Magdalena Skipper has accused Brown of, quote, poor research practices and denied that there is any editorial bias. Skipper says that peer reviewers noted the absence of non-climate change-related factors in Brown's paper and that the authors argued against including them. Brown has encouraged the media to stop accepting these papers at face value and for editors to focus on solutions beyond what is offered by pre-approved narratives. He calls on researchers to focus more on research that actually helps society instead of their career or media influence. Thank you for those facts, Scott. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from climate. If what the editor-in-chief of Nature says is true, Brown intentionally published a misleading paper that he could later walk back from in order to promote an anti-scientific climate skeptic narrative. Whatever his reasons for this are, the consensus is that climate change is being accelerated by human activity and is leading to more inclement weather. It's Brown, not the establishment, that has resorted to trickery in order to push a narrative. And the second in our quartet of narratives is this establishment critical spin from the Wall Street Journal. Brown has given credence to what many of us have long suspected. Climate change is being misused to promote alarmist narratives and political agendas. The claim that climate change is to blame for wildfires does not square with the reality of the fires being mostly started by humans and that the percentage of land ignited by these blazes has shrunk year after year. Academia and the media work together to promote an activist agenda at the expense of real climate solutions. Moving on to the cynical narrative coming from World Weather Attribution. 
A fair attempt at correlating wildfire risk to human-induced global warming can be seen in services for journalists, like the World Weather Attribution Initiative. For wildfires, the initiative states that there is likely an underlying climate signal, but wildfires are much more challenging to correlate due to issues like forest management and ignition sources. The initiative also attempts to call reasonable balls and strikes for what specific wildfire for what specific wildfire events may or may not potentially be tied to global warming. In general, media outlets need to do a better job of sticking to long-standing, nuanced guidance from well-meaning scientists rather than getting swept up in either alarmist or denialist hype. When we have a nerd narrative from Attaculus, there's a 50% chance that wildfires will there's a 50% chance that wildfires will destroy a total exceeding 10 million hectares of global tree cover in any year by the end of 2030. New Zealand plans to produce lab-grown fruit. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, One News, News Hub, Plant and Food Research, and ABC News. Amid a changing climate that could cause food insecurity, scientists at New Zealand's Plant and Food Research are attempting to grow fruit tissues inside a lab. According to Direction co-leader Samantha Baldwin, the idea behind diversifying the country's growing systems is to fill the gaps in the year where there might be pressure on outdoor production. While more than 80 companies across the globe are studying and producing lab-grown meat and seafood, plant and food research is working with cells from blueberries, apples, cherries, feijoas, peaches, nectarines, and grapes. Under its Food by Design program, the plant and food research team will grow only fruit tissue without unwanted parts like pits, cores, and rinds to reduce food waste. Once produced, the fruits will go through clinical trials to ensure they're safe for human consumption. Plant and food research scientist Dr. Ben Schoen states that using their expertise in cellular horticulture, the team strives to export what could become a significant food production system in the future and create a new food with equally appealing properties. New Zealand reportedly produces enough food to feed 40 million people, yet 40% of its 5 million residents experience food insecurity. According to Stats NZ, food prices in March had grown by 12% compared to 2022, the greatest jump since 1989. Thanks, Eric. Narrative A comes from the Paleo Foundation. If regulated and mass-produced ethically, lab-grown or farm-free food could make inexpensive and nutritional food available to everyone on a level never witnessed before by humanity. It will not just aid in global cooling and saving the planet, but also increase the probability of eliminating food insecurity worldwide. The Guardian gives us narrative B. While farm-free food may attempt to solve world hunger, the technology will likely push millions of people who work in the farming and food processing industries into unemployment, with dairy farms predicted to collapse into bankruptcy as early as the year 2030, and the beef industry forecast to drop profits by as much as 90% by the year 2035. And the nerd narrative from Metaculus, this time they predict there's a 50% chance that the largest plant-based meat production capacity will be about 107,000 metric tons per year from a single facility by January 1st, 2030. Our final story, a new study claims under 50 cancer rates have surged over the last 30 years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and CNN. Cancer diagnoses for patients under the age of 50 have increased by nearly 80% over the last 30 years, according to a comprehensive study by BMJ Oncology. 
scientists are citing a confluence of factors for the uptick. The study includes data from 204 counties and examines 29 types of cancer while delving into new cases, deaths, health implications, and risk factors for people aged 14 to 49. The study also measured changes between 1990 and 2019. Global cases of early-onset cancer rose from 1.82 million in 1990 to 3.26 million in 2019, while cancer deaths in young adults under 50 increased by 27%. More than 1 million people under 50 die of cancer annually. Early-onset breast cancer was the most common form of cancer cases, while nasopharyngeal cancer, a type of head and neck cancer, and prostate cancer had the most significant increases since 1990. Meanwhile, early-onset liver cancer has declined most over the last 30 years. Scott, thank you for those facts. We begin our round of spins with an establishment-critical narrative coming from InfoWars. In a modern artificial world, nearly everything we eat, drink, and consume has the potential for contact with cancer-causing elements. Therefore, it's no surprise that early-onset cancer has risen so rapidly over the last 30 years. Soda, for example, is chocked full of high amounts of sugar and can lead to obesity. And there are so many more unnatural compounds that make the, quote, diet versions so dangerous. Our leaders may pay lip service to health and sustainability, but the fact is that large corporations continue to pump out dangerous artificial consumables that are making us sicker than ever. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from The Independent. There are many factors contributing to the rise in early-onset cancers, and researchers are determined to get to the bottom of this problem. Obviously, not smoking tobacco and over-consuming alcohol can go a long way in preventing cancer, along with regular exercise and a balanced diet. While the BMJ Oncology study may seem alarming, cancer still disproportionately affects older people, and young people can take simple, high-leverage measures to reduce their risks and treat cancer in its earliest stages. And for a final nerd narrative of today's podcast, coming from Metaculous Prediction Community, they say there's a 50% chance that the mean five-year relative survival rate of all cancers for both sexes in the United States will exceed 75% by April of 2029. Uh, a few months ago on this program, Melissa, who's a... Uh you know, a health, you know, exercise trainer and kind of a health expert. She said, if you want obesity, have regular soda. If you want cancer, have diet soda. So, hey, guess, you know what? You're right. Read, read between the lines. Yeah. Just don't have it, I guess. Just don't have it. Yeah. Well, I have to say I am a, uh, I'm an offender of both. I can't. Yeah. yeah I, I mean. Yeah. I, I, I also dabble in both. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I have a, I, what, what I can't, I, I can't drink diet Pepsi stuff anymore because that has sucralose in it, which makes my, my tummy hurt. Oh, I, I gotcha. uh, aspartame, like what's in diet Coke, I can yeah. drink that. Right. But, uh, so if it's, if I'm at a Pepsi place, then I get regular soda. And then when yeah. I'm at a Coke place, I get diet soda and, uh, I'm, you know, at risk of obesity Golly. and cancer. So Man, <laughs> I tell you what, you uh, being Scott Wallace is a high maintenance position, man. You got to bloodlet every month. You got to watch what kind of sodas you drink. Bless your it, heart. I'm a diva. I mean, I'm you a are diva a diva. Gotta, you are yeah. definitely a diva. <laughs> the princess in the pea. That's me. That's yep. right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Friday, September eighth, twenty twenty three. Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. 
For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. You can find out more about the Verity Podcast at verity.news and download the Verity Podcast app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. Thank you.